Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. When we consult churches, we use an anonymous survey completed by everyone in church. They don't have to put their names on it, just fill it out. And in that survey, we have a lot of questions about a lot of things, but a few of the questions have to do with money. One of the things that we like to ask is, how do you describe how much you choose to give to God in the offering? Do you do it by an amount or by a percentage of what God's given to you? We're asking the question about proportionate giving. Then we ask them whether or not they do it that way or not. Do the math. What does it look like? And then we learn what percentage they give. And I'll have the answers for you a little later. Welcome to Broken Bridge number 12, Faithless Giving. Yeah, there are 12 broken bridges that we have found as we have consulted over a couple thousand churches in 77 denominations, independent and non-denominational churches. And yet we know that the pathway to heaven is Jesus, but the bridges are the churches that are God's bridge to introduce people to that Jesus. And so this one is about the finances, and this is going to be kind of interesting. So have you talked about church much with people that are unchurched? It's very interesting because if you do, and we have, sooner or later, somebody's going to say to you, you know what I think? I think all the church wants is my money, and that's not so good to hear. But the question is, where do they get that idea? Well, you know, a lot of Christians, if you ask them, well, where do they get that idea? They say, well, they are listening to these televangelists on television and all they're asking for is money. Well, there aren't many televangelists even left anymore. And people are still saying that very phrase about, I think, all your church wants is my money. So where's the real reason they get this idea? Where do they get that from? Well, it happens to be our own fault, the church's fault. I want you to think about it. You know, for many churches, the only time Christians invite their non-Christian neighbors and friends to their church building is the annual bazaar or the youth car wash or the spaghetti dinner to raise money for a mission trip. Otherwise, they don't really talk church to their neighbors or their friends. So what's the issue behind the issue? Number one, we should reach out to unchurched people for one purpose and one purpose only, to share the love of Jesus. And number two, we should never fund Christianity by milking the unchurched people. Never. Pretty tough talk, isn't it? Huh? Well, many of the wealthiest people generally in the world and in world history and yet are Christians, many of them give financially so little. Worse yet, they mask their spiritual stinginess with fundraisers that sap the energy and tarnish the witness of believers. Now, I understand this is not a popular way to say this. It's not a popular subject. Boy, there are people that think that the bazaar or the craft show or whatever we're doing is like sacred, like in the Bible. Well, let's take a look at some promises of God. First of all, the promise from Scripture, you literally cannot outgive God. And that's not about money. It's about faith. At this critical point in history, Christians should not only be generous to their churches, but they also should sacrifice at a second level to any ministry 
that helps churches become more productive in reaching lost people. At this time in history, we need to help churches, and churches need help from the outside. Now, as a consultant, I live there in that situation. I see it so often, and it's just amazing what we can do to leverage by helping churches in the ability to adapt to the unchurched world where we now live. So let's start with a message given by many churches. It actually occurs in two forms. Number one, we've consulted a number of churches that have socked away a rainy day fund, which in the secular world sounds like a good idea, and eh, maybe a little for the church, a month maybe, or whatever, in case something happens. But we find churches go beyond a month, to two months, six months, a year, all expenses for a whole year. A second area that is a little touchy, but I'm going to talk about it, and that is many churches have an endowment, and thank God for people who give money like that at the end of their lives. They've been blessed. They want to bless their church. They mean well, but they set it up so the church can only spend the interest, or the church sets it up that they will only spend the interest or a part of it. I just don't see that kind of mentality in the Bible. And I know this isn't a very popular opinion I'm about to share. But think about it this way. What if Jesus returned tomorrow and ended everything, which he's going to do one of these days? I mean, he's going to do it. And I think Jesus might look at some of these churches and say, did you guys misunderstand your mission? Did you come to the conclusion that you were a bank socking away all this money? And what about the lost people? On Judgment Day, it's too late. When Jesus comes back, it's too late. And so it's too late for those people that are lost, and it's too late for your church. And you're sitting on money you could have used to reach those people? Are you kidding me? Not too long ago, pretty recently, I just ran into a, a dear friend of mine, Dave, and his wife, Holly. And Dave was talking to me about their church. They go to another church in town, and he was saying their church has been struggling for quite a while. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm always sorry to hear when a church is struggling. He says, you know what's frustrating? He said, our church will not spend a dime on getting help from the outside. I said, yeah, I hear that a lot. And he said, you know what else? We're sitting on $300,000 in the bank. And I said, Dave, you're involved in that church. You're vocal. Ask them what they're going to do if Jesus comes back tomorrow and what they're going to say about that money. They're acting like a bank. They're definitely not acting in faith. They're not trusting God for the future of their church. And they're not facing whatever the challenges are that they have. So they refuse to move forward. You know, the way that we do a lot of things in churches, the fundraisers, the endowment, the way we structure endowments, it tends to lead people to get a concept of what I would call soft giving and faithless living. You know, being out on the edge and trusting God is indeed challenging when money's tight. But doesn't that feel more like Jesus? Doesn't that feel more like faith than having this enormous cushion, this socket in a bank kind of a deal? Now, this soft giving is a real issue because when we consult a church, we do this research, which I mentioned at the very beginning. So let me tell you about what we learn across the board, thousands of churches. 43% of the people in churches give 5% or less. 5% of what God gives them in income, what they earn, or less is what they give back to their primary mission, your local church. 
Only 24% give a tithe, 10% or more, about one out of four. Only 14% give more than 10%. Now, when you ask people, well, how do you go about deciding how much you're going to give to the church? Do you just think of how much you earn by dollars? Or do you do what the Bible talks about in proportionate giving? Do you look at it as a percentage of what God has given to you? Do you say, like, take 10% and then, then look at how much you've earned or how much you're going to earn this year and give it as a percentage or proportionate giving, which is the only way that you can approach giving from a biblical perspective? It is proportionate giving. Give as the Lord has given to you is the scriptural approach. So there is no other way to give, but proportionately. How many people in churches think about it proportionately rather than as a percentage, rather than a dollar amount? Proportionate giving, 37%, just about a third of the people. Well, there's a few things that would change the financial picture of any church. If you just went back to the Bible and talked about what the Bible talks about, then you could learn something about missions with that money. But at the end of the day, you already know this. I know this. It's not about money. It's never about money. It's always about faith. It's always about knowing the scripture. It's always about trusting God. Why? Because you can't outgive God. There's a wonderful story I heard early in my ministry. It's about a guy standing on the edge of a cliff, and God says to him, so what's faith like to you? He says, well, I don't know. And God says, well, what if I go down there at the bottom of the cliff, and I promise you I'll catch you? Does that seem like faith to you? And he says, the guy says, yeah, yeah, that would be like a leap of faith. Okay. Then God steps up to the guy and stands next to him on the top of the cliff. And they both look down, and God says to the guy, what do you see down there? He says, I don't see anything but rocks. And God says, go ahead, jump. I'll catch you. Yeah, that's what the scripture says. Faith is really believing things we can't see. And the truth is, there's no other way to become a generous Christian, a generous financial contributor without the leap of faith. God isn't going to abundantly overcome you with money and then teach you to give. He's going to teach you to give and then he's going to bless you in response because that's the difference between faith and simple math. Unbelievers can do math. Years ago, I took a lifelong leap of faith, kind of a faith lifestyle of living in midair, jumping off the cliff. I started Church Doctor Ministries, and I knew that we couldn't run the ministry without some income from churches. And I also felt that if we consulted a church, they had to have some skin in the game. It was totally free. It would take the ownership out of it. That's just the way people are. And there would be some churches that weren't serious if we did it for free. So we decided to build a model, first of all, where I would raise my own support. Our board of directors would set my salary. They'd review it every year. And then I would have to raise the salary. And if I didn't raise it, I didn't get it. And I've lived that way for 40 years. Now, when I first started, I'll be honest with you, I told my wife, I said, I've been thinking, Janet, what do you think? I would like to declare myself as a missionary to America. And most missionaries around the world, they raise their own salary. Now, my wife, who takes care of the bills, she at first said, oh, yeah, that's kind of a, yeah, that's a leap of faith, all right. And I said, I know it. It's scary. I'm scared. But if God is really in this, and God really wants to bless this work, I know I'm going to go to some churches, and they're going to have to pay something for this. 
And sooner or later, I'm going to be asked, because when we do a report at a church, it's an oral report and everybody's there and everybody's very interested in what we find out and what we're going to recommend. So it's usually a packed out house and they can write questions on three by five cards anonymously. And then we read all the cards and I know I'm going to get cards every once in a while about what do you get paid for this? I want to say I don't get a penny for my salary out of this. I raise my own support. And if you'd like to support us, we would love to have you as a support partner and a prayer partner. And you'll get our monthly newsletter, (laughs) which is what we do. It was a little scary, especially for our family treasurer, my wife. She pays all the bills. We had two young children when we started Church Doctor Ministries, and it was a stretch. And so we took the leap of faith knowing that if we got paid toward the end of the year, waiting for those year-end last donations, we might have to pay back to the ministry out of our donated salary what was forwarded to us in those last few weeks anticipating some year-end donations. And it has happened. We've had years where we had to work very hard and sacrifice really hard to pay it back. We've had people that, you know, surprise us at the end of the year in a negative way. We've also had people at the end of the year that surprise us in a positive way. And so we've lived that life for years. I can't even begin to describe what that's done for my personal faith in God and my wife and her personal faith in God. I can't even describe what kind of generosity we have experienced and grown and keep growing. And I can't even put into words how God has come at us from directions that are unbelievable. You wouldn't believe it if I told you, and I wouldn't have the time to tell you throughout our lives. It's just in ways that we've been blessed that we didn't even know existed. It is phenomenal. I mean, just beyond belief. So I'm talking about what I know about God here firsthand, big time. And you know, Church Doctor Ministries, there are people that work at Church Doctor Ministries that don't get out and meet people like our consultants do. They don't have a chance to raise their own support. They do a little bit once in a while, and it all helps. But if we didn't have people donate to our ministry, we couldn't make it through the month, literally. We keep our prices so low, and so we live this lifestyle at our ministry as well. People will be laid off if the finances don't come through. And even as now, right at this moment, we're looking at a tremendous new breakthrough that we need three or four more staff and significant quality people, particularly in internet savvy and other statistical research type things. And we're not committed to raising the prices because the churches that hurt the most can't afford it the least. They just can't afford it the least. They don't have the faith or strength to do this, and we're just not going to go there. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is primarily because your church can operate this way. Um, We've lived it for 40 years. We're going out on this new adventure with more faith than I ever dreamed we could have. But it's really an amazing and dangerous proposition that I'm raising. And that is stop the fundraisers. Trust people. Ask people to stretch. Because you know what? You're doing them a favor. A favor opportunity to learn what God can do. So I've never been shy about asking for funds for myself, our family, and for the ministry. (laughs) I once consulted a church in Wisconsin. 
really wealthy church. If I said where it was, you'd absolutely know the kind of people go to this church. But I'm not going to use the city. It'd be too easy to guess what this church, who, who these people were. But it's a very, very, very wealthy part of the world. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and this church had, believe it or not, they had a, an annual rummage sale. And the people of the church would bring their used clothing. And believe me, that used clothing was pretty high stuff, and it wasn't used very long. I mean, they were wealthy people, you know. I'm not complaining about them. I'm, I'm not saying that was bad. They had a rummage sale, but it was a sale of all things, and they had awesome clothes. This is a church that was declining, okay? They couldn't grow their church. Great church, great staff, all the money in the world, and they were declining. And so I made the bold recommendation that at the rummage sale, they get the name and address of people because they can't just give away the clothes because they got to have people that have real need. Otherwise, you'd open it up to people that would get clothes and actually steal them blind and use it as a way to make money and sell it off on the black market or something like that. And so, yeah, okay, so you sell it at a lowered price, but then you take the name and address of people and then after they leave, Maybe a couple months later, you send them the total amount back in a check and say, you know, we love God. God loves you. We just want to bless you. Now, think about the impact that would have on people to get a check from the church for exactly the amount they paid for the clothes they desperately needed for their kids. Now, if you spent that much money on billboards advertising all over town, I honestly believe you could absolutely not get the response you would get. And if you followed up with those people since you had their names and addresses and just shared once in a while with them a little biblical thought that might encourage them, strengthen them, I absolutely refuse to believe that they wouldn't start getting people saying, I'm going to go check these people out. These people are the genuine article, not clothes. People, people of God. Yeah, I think they could really, really do a great mission. And so what did they do with my recommendation? <laughs> they turned it down. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, and a couple of people in their church, some of the most wealthy people in their church, were so disgusted they left that church. I didn't mean to do that. And I'm sorry they left. I wish they had stayed there and changed the attitude, but... They just said, I'm going somewhere where people are more interested in mission, which is what happens. The best people leave first. The bottom line of all of this is you can't outgive God. Churches never have a money issue. Our ministry never really has a money issue. That's what we sweat bullets and pray about, but that's not what it is, and we know that. It's always a giving issue. It's always a faith issue. Years ago, on one of my nine trips to Nigeria, training pastors, my wife was with me on that particular trip, the only time she went to Nigeria. It's a pretty challenging mission trip. I love it. I could live there. But I was asked to preach at a church on a Sunday morning. It was called a mission church, a new church. They weren't very old. So I thought, yeah, that's cool. I've been speaking to 5,000 pastors, and this is a great expression of my true humility. I don't care about a big crowd. I'd be more than happy to speak at a small mission church. Now, they didn't tell me the size. They just said it was new and it was young, and they were meeting in a warehouse. Fine. So 
we went to this church, Janet and I, and it had already started. And I asked the person who picked us up, well, you mean we're late for church? I feel that's rude going in there. And he said, oh, no, our worship service is three hours long. And the first part has started, but they're not ready for the preaching yet, and you're going to preach. And so we walked in, and I'm not kidding you, in this warehouse, no window, no bathroom, no breeze. It had to be 110, maybe 120 degrees. Here these people are sitting on benches with no backs, just little six-inch wide benches, three hours, standing while they worship, of course. African people dance when they worship, and you can't dance sitting down. And it was so hot in there, and there were a thousand people. I just couldn't believe it. So they asked my wife to speak, which was interesting. She wasn't prepared. She didn't know that was going to happen. But she did. She spoke to these people. She doesn't like to speak to groups. And then it was time for my message. Just before that, I asked the pastor, I said, Pastor, these people have been here a long time. It's hotter and blazes in here. How long should I speak? I, I had prepared for 20 minutes, and I thought, well, I could shorten it up a little bit because these people have been here a long time. And he said, oh, no, you should speak for an hour. They're used to an hour. They'll feel terrible if you don't speak for an hour. Yeah, and I was prepared for 20 minutes. <laughs> I, I preached the sermon I had prepared. I preached the sermon I gave the Sunday before, and I gave my personal testimony, and God just took over and did the rest. <laughs> yeah, I spoke for an hour. And when I got finished, there was literally a small lake in the area where I was standing on the concrete, probably about, oh, three and a half feet wide, a circle of wet water that was entirely from my soaking wet clothes. I'll never forget it. But what I really want to tell you about is the offering. <laughs> when it came time for the offering, the pastor took a cardboard box, that's all they had, and some young person held it at the front. He said, we're not going to take the offering, and for those that might be new here, what we're going to do for the offering is what we usually do. We're going to sing a song over and over and over again until everybody gets to dance their way up to the offering box and put in their offering and dance back to their seat, and row by row, in orderly fashion, from both sides of the rows where we're going to take an offering. And then he said this, and I'll never forget it. I hope you never do either. He said, I know some of you have no money whatsoever. So I want you to come up for the offering, dance your way up and sing, sing the song. And this will go on for a long time. It did. It went on for probably a half an hour. Longest offering I've ever seen. And if you don't have any money, you come forward and you put your hand over the box, and you give yourself to God. And I'll never forget it. And I hope you never forget it either. I think about all the needs for churches in this country, and I think of all the silly things we do with money, like we don't really believe, we don't want to jump off the cliff. I think about the minimal amount that the average Christian gives in the offering to their church. I think about the way we try to raise money from unchurched people. I think God's not going to bless us unless we do some house cleaning on the money issue. I'm sorry, but that's true. I really believe that. And I live it. I live this trust in God. We live it at Church Doctor Ministries. As our leader, Tracy, says, we put the non in nonprofit and what we could do if we had more. But we believe God will bring it because we know he loves the church and we know he sees the church bleeding and not reaching on church people. 
and we know it's the only answer to the decline of civilization in our country. Jesus is the answer. So that ends episode 12. In these episodes, we've looked at broken bridges. They keep the church and God's people, God's movement from moving forward. But God, in his great generosity, has provided pathways around those broken bridges, a way to move forward for all of us. And in scripture, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what? There is no other way. There is no other truth. And there is no other life. Pray about these pathways. Search your heart and search your Bible for God's pathways around your broken bridges. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.